0: Thank you, choir. I invite you to open with me back to the Gospel of Mark together, Mark chapter 4, as we will be picking up where we left off, Mark chapter 4. So thankful that we could take a moment. To honor those whom honor is due. Just so you know, uh, they still get to be with us for two more meetings. Uh, they, we, they will actually, their, their term will end at the end of December. And we have a meeting this month and another one in December. So guys, we still expect you. Uh, we need you. We can put it that way. Uh, but we'll start a new one in January. It, it has been a joy. I trust it has been for you and a delight to work through the gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is rich, as are all of the Gospels, with the stories and the accounts and the footprints of Jesus. And, and for those who are believers in Christ, what better study could there possibly be than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? But, but this morning, as we come to the, Mark's Gospel once more, and we find ourselves encamped in Campton, chapter 4, those of us who love Christ and seek to know Him and get to know Him more and better we are encountered often with a perplexing question that Mark chapter 4 seeks to answer. And here's the question. Why is it that more people don't love Jesus? Ever wondered that? I mean, you love Jesus so much. I trust you do. That's why I trust you're at church. That's why you've opened your Bible with me this morning to chapter 4 of Mark's gospel. But why is it that more people don't? That is certainly true even in Jesus' ministry. We've talked about that because by the time we get to the fourth chapter of Mark's Gospel, did you know that half of Jesus' earthly ministry is already complete? By the time we get to Mark chapter 4. And if half of his earthly ministry is complete at this juncture, we would expect there be pe- to be people from all over, not just following and listening to Jesus of, of, because of his interest and because of his miracles, but truly putting their faith in Jesus. And yet, the sad reality is as we read Mark 1 and Mark 2 and Mark 3, there are still relatively few disciples. Yes, the crowds come, But it's just to see miracles, or it's just to see some kind of sideshow. Many come to be healed and want a quick miracle, but even Jesus' own family members are not yet believing in him. Remember what it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. His own family heard it, and they went to seize him, Jesus, saying basically he's out of his gourd, he's crazy. His own family members. Why aren't more people believing the gospel message at this point? Jesus gave us an explanation as he begins to to teach in parables in chapter 4. The chapter is bracketed by two noteworthy verses... In chapter 4, verse 2, it says, he was teaching them many things in parables. And at the end of the chapter, in chapter 4, verse 33, it says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them. He did not, verse 34, speak to them without a parable. So in chapter 4 now, he's just talking in parables. And all the way from the beginning of the chapter to the end of Jesus' teaching, There will be one consistent theme to his teaching. He will teach in parables. Now, why parables? What is the purpose? And just to review with you, parables teach, really. (laughs) That's what they're meant to do. They're meant to convey truth. And and parables reveal that truth. They They will take an illustration, and they will lay that illustration, if you will, parallel to a truth. That's what he's trying to do. So that you will see the truth revealed, but... To those who are not believing, they will only see the story and not the truth. And so parables also conceal. And so it is that if you are a believer in Jesus, you ought to be able to read these parables, these stories, these illustrations, with eyes that turn you to your Savior afresh. You understand the truth. But remember, the key difference in receiving the Word of God is not in the Word, the Word does not change, or in the sower of the Word, it's always Jesus in this parable. But the key difference is the soil that receives the seed. And sometimes that seed hits that hard soil, and there is no germination, and thus there is no fruit, And sometimes that seed hits the the soil where there's thorns and it gets choked out, but the goal is, when you throw out seed, the goal is fruit, that's the goal. And Jesus gives a parable in Mark 4, 1 through 20, to prove this point. Three times the seed is sown, and the goal is not accomplished in those three until the fourth time the seed is sown, and that fourth soil produces real and lasting fruit. If I go and plant seeds for a tomato plant in my driveway, I'm not going to expect a lot of things, right? They're just not going to happen. But if I go out in the freshly tilled soil and I plant that there, I can expect tomato seeds to produce tomato plants. Now that leaves us here this morning as a church family. And I trust I'm speaking to many people who have fresh soil that has received the seed. And we are the people whom God has prepared our hearts, and I trust you've accepted the gospel message, which is to say, Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again, putting death to death. Would you receive him? And if you have, what do you do now? What, what has God asked good soil Christians to do? And that's what begins in verse 21. And in verse 21, we begin begin to see that we don't just sit back and say, praise God, I've been saved. We, We don't just sit back and say, praise God, I've got good soil to receive the seed. Jesus says that now that you have been saved, there is something to do. You need to faithfully, confidently, and actively sow. In fact, God has called his believers to sow the seed of the gospel. And that's what Jesus is going to help his disciples understand. And as we explore this passage, I'm going to take these parables in the context of which they have been given. We've already spent time in what is commonly, maybe mistakenly called the parable of the sower, but we have dubbed it the parable of the soil, because the sower doesn't change, but the soil certainly does. And this parable that opens chapter 4 opens a stream of parables that all come to us in the same context, and I want to take them in that context because Jesus is teaching them one after the other to convey something. We saw in chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, the parable of the soil, often mistakenly called the parable of the sower, but the parable of the soil. In verses 21 through 25, we're going to read the parable of the lamp or the lampstand. In verses 26 through 29, we have the parable of the seed. And then in verse 30 and 30 through 34, we have the parable then of the mustard seed. And all of these being related in a way, I hope you'll see that there's a very clear stream of thought that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Mark now records for us, and we need to understand something. They are all woven together to help us see that you have been saved to sow. You can say saved for what? Saved to sow. Here's what he says in verse 21 of chapter four. And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret but shall become made known abroad. This is, very reminiscent of the song the choir just sang. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure ye meet it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear it shall be more given. For he, hath, for he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and rise, night and day, and the seed should spring, and grow up, and he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first a blade, then the ear, after that the full corn of the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately, he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, you notice how Mark is breaking these up, so you can see exactly where a new parable begins. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like the grain of a mustard seed, which when it is sown into the ground is less than the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all the herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them, When they were alone, he expanded all these things to his disciples. Now, for the sake of time, we'll need to move quickly, because we need to look at the three parables that we just read. But while we may move quickly through them, there is an intentionality in so doing. I want you to see the element of intentionality at the outset of our message. I believe that God has inspired these parables to be put together in one context to convey one central theme. And by covering them all in one message, I hope to bring that central theme to the forefront of your thinking that you may understand what Jesus was teaching by weaving together these parables. And here's what he was saying. Save for what? You're saved to sow. And if you are saved to sow, number one, we must sow responsibly. We begin in verse 21 with what is commonly called the parable of the lamp. And the parable teaches us, very importantly, that we are responsible. Those who are recipients of God's gospel are responsible to sow that gospel. We can't just sit back and say, praise God, I've got it. We have to share it with others, And so he says in verse 21, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put onto a stand? This is kind of a rhetorical question. We should all be able to answer that question. I should be able to go into the toddler nursery today and ask that question. Do you put lit candles under a bushel? And they should be able to tell me, no, you put it to be seen, right? My son and daughter have gotten into because we got, you know, we had two hurricanes back to back, so we got our flashlights ready, as I'm sure you did, just in case we lost power. And, uh, well, flashlights, that may have been the common cause for why we got them out. The cause in our children's minds is flashlight hide-and-seek. Right? Those are, that is the, the best way. And, and I could ask even my two-year-old, do you get a flashlight to keep it under a blanket? And he would say, no, I, I give you the flashlight for hide-and-seek so you can see. That's kind of a rhetorical, obvious question. The average person could answer that. But at this time, the average house in that time would have had a simple clay oil lamp. It would have had a small wick, which would have drawn the oil out as it burned. And it doesn't burn very brightly. It's kind of a dimly lit lamp. But in the darkness, even a small flame is going to bring out a lot of light. And this gives some measure of instruction to us immediately. None of us by ourselves would think of ourselves as producing tons of light, would we? But in the darkness, and in the world of darkness, even the smallest bit of light makes a huge difference. And Jesus makes a point that you bring lamps in to be put them on a lamp stand. Why do you light this lamp? Verse 22, nothing is hidden except it may be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except it come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear what I am saying to you. I hope not to mix metaphors here as I attempt to exegete the text. We are the people, by God's grace, that have seen the seed of the gospel hit good soil. That's you if you're saved. And now, we are little lamps. It'd be kind of a fun series to just look at the metaphors Christ gives to his believers. We looked at the metaphors Christ gives to the church, but here's one, you're a soil, you're a good soil. Here's another, you're a lamp. And if you're a lamp, you are to do something. And you'll see this metaphor expounded in other passages, like in Matthew, when Jesus would say, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. uh, This is who you are. And do you see the point that's being made here? Why do you light a lamp? Answer, so that it will shine, that it will give light to others. So here's the question, spiritually. Why did the Lord save you? Answer, so that your light would be shared with others. Paul made the same point to the Colossians when he said, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. You do not need a light if there is no darkness. Why has God saved us? Because there is darkness in this world. And there is a need for little lights. Benjamin Franklin wanted to interest people in Philadelphia in street lighting he thought it was necessary and needed but there wasn't a lot of people that really agreed with franklin at that time to spend all of this money lighting the streets of philadelphia with street lighting they were used to the darkness they didn't need that so rather than you know give great orations and pound the pulpit and make sure everybody would be on his side franklin took a different measured approach he bought his own street light and he put it outside of his home and kept it lit and everybody observed that and loved Benjamin Franklin's street light, so much so that other houses began to get their own street lights and the news spread until finally, they could do nothing else but vote yes, we should get street lights. All because he started it with something simple. Matthew Henry in his commentary on this passage says, many who are lighted as candles, meaning they are saved, put themselves in a bed or under a bushel. They do not manifest grace themselves nor minister grace to others. They have spiritual gifts, but they do not use them. In an urn, they burn to themselves. Be the one today to light your neighborhood streets. Be a light. Let it shine. That's what you have been saved for. Saved for what? You've been saved to sow. Now notice how the parable continues. When it says in verse 24, and he said unto them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given, and the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now what's going on? We need to be faithful to what the Lord has saved us to do, is what he's saying. Those who are faithful will be given even more besides. God will expand your horizons. What the Lord is commanding us to do is to shine faithful with, with the gospel. And the more faithfully we shine, the more opportunities we will have to shine. After all, God has called his believers to sow the seed of the gospel. We need to be the ones who are to be sure to be listening to the gospel, sharing the gospel, and confident in the gospel. We're not trying to think of new creative ways that are contrary to the scripture either to share this gospel. After all, Jesus would say, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch itself cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And again, the illustration of an oil lamp is very helpful here. You are a lit candle. But not like a candle on a stand that's a wax candle and eventually the wax will run out and you'll run out. You're an oil lamp. That's the word that's being conveyed here. And to stay lit, the lamp needs fresh oil. And if you would stay lit and on fire for God, you need oil. How do you bear fruit? You bear fruit as God's word abides in us. So I want to give us the parable of the lamp. How does a lamp shine? It doesn't shine by itself. A dry wick is not going to be a lit candle. So if I'm not diving back into the scriptures, how can I possibly be a bright lamp? And what Jesus is thus saying is, you and I are responsible to be sowers of this seed. But number two, we must sow confidently. We're responsible to sow it openly. But secondly, I think you'll see this morning, is that this power to save, and we should be confident in this, is not in us. It is the gospel that changed you, and it is the same gospel that will change others. And because the gospel has power, we can sow confidently. And so he says this in verse 26. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he doesn't know how. Now, especially at this time in history, you might have asked a farmer, how does a seed grow? And they may have been able to tell you that it needs sun. They may have been able to tell you it needed water. But they didn't have microscopes to tell you much beyond what they could observe with their physical eye. So how does a seed grow? Well, ultimately, that's a bit of a mystery. Even still, those, of us, those that are more experts than I and studying this would probably conclude that there's a lot of intricacies to a seed that are still beyond anything that any of us could come up with on our own. I couldn't make up my own seed from anything. I might be able to mix seeds to come up with a new variety, but I can't produce a new seed out of thin air. So how does a seed grow? I don't know, he goes to bed that night, and it grew. <laughs> he rests, he didn't do anything, he worked, he, he tilled, he sowed, but ultimately, when he woke up in the morning, there it was. And he didn't do that. The rest of the work is out of his hands. Now in light of our gospel mission, we may ask this. How can I go to bed knowing that there are still so many people unsaved. I've been sowing, I've been sowing, I've been sowing, I've been praying, I've been eagerly wa- desiring that let's say my loved ones would come to Christ. How can I sleep at night knowing that if they were to die, they would go to hell? might keep me up at night. I might, I might be the kind of preacher that actually preaches if they don't get saved, their blood is on your hand. Who, what terrible exegesis to preach such a message. What is this passage saying? Answer, I rest in the Lord because I can't save them. There's nothing I can do to save them. Man, mean, if I had the ability to save unsaved people, I might be like what Paul said. Remember what Paul said? If I could, I would. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was so desirous that they would be saved, he actually admitted, I wish I could do this, but it is the Lord's work as he responds to penitent people. And whenever someone didn't get saved, if I thought it was all me, I would assume it's my fault. And whenever someone doesn't get saved, whenever someone rather does get saved, I may fall in the other wrong ditch and take all the credit. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of God, as if as a man, would scatter seed on the ground. If you want to harvest, you have to cast seed. And there's something we must do. We must cast seed. We must cast seed openly, not discerning the soils that we are casting it on, because we don't know man's heart. You can't say, well, I'll cast it over here, because they're probably more ready to accept the gospel. That is not for you to decide. I'm just going to cast Seed, that's my responsibility. But the growth, notice, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how that happens. There will always be some seed that results in fruitful plants, and always times when people will come to Christ. Verse 28, the earth produces by itself. First the blade, and then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, and, and the grain is ripe at once. He puts in his sickle, and the harvest is come. That's what happens. You may be thinking, "Is anyone ever going to be saved?" I've just been out here sowing. Is it even worth it? God's word is powerful. Do you know when Hudson Taylor finally went over to China to be a missionary? He ministered for seven hard years without seeing one person come to Christ? Or there probably may be, if that happened in our day and age, there may be some churches that would just say, well, he's just a bad missionary. Because we measure success by numbers. How wrong of us? We think that revival is when thousands of people come to Christ. How wrong of us? You want to know what revival is? When one person comes to Christ, that's revival. And we have so been caught up in numbers and growth charts that we have forgot it's not us. That's the point of this parable. And yet we can still be confident. D.L. Moody walked down a Chicago street one day. He walked up to a man and asked him if that man was a Christian. And the fellow raised his fists and angrily exclaimed to Moody, you mind your own business. To which Moody replied, this is my business. (laughs) And the man who'd been in Chicago for some time said, well then you must be Mr. Moody. (laughs) (laughs) Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. That's what your job is. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Where is that power? That power is in the word, not in me. So what do I do? I be faithful because I got the most powerful seed in the world. So let's review. Saved for what? You're saved to sow. And we are responsible. We are lamps, and it is unacceptable just to sit back and say, well, God is just going to save people anyways. No, you are a lamp, and lamps don't get put under a basket. And you are to trust in God. The power in the gospel to sow it, you can go to sleep, and you can trust that God works. Ultimately, God is calling us to a special purpose. But then we have the parable of the mustard seed. Did you see that in verses 30 and 30 through 32? And this will help us to realize that God is sovereign. And because he is, we can sow and we must sow expectantly. So expecting that God is going to do something. Notice what it says in verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? Let's try to think for a second. How can I describe the kingdom of God? And if you can kind of strap on your first century sandals again for a moment, and if you've been following Jesus for some time, you have noted already beginning, at the very beginning of his public ministry, there's been an obvious theme. He's been big on the kingdom of God. I mean, he has, he has declared the kingdom of God. He's even said, I am the kingdom of God. This is me. So how can I... How can I Illustrate that. What's a good illustration of the parable, or, or a parable of the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, "It's like a grain of a mustard seed. When sown on the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up, and it becomes larger than all the other plants, and puts out huge, large branches." So that the birds of the air can actually make their nests in this tree. It's not like a squiggly little bush. It's a big tree that birds can make nests in. So you go to sleep and you sow these little mustard seeds. God works. and The gospel is going to work in the hearts and God's kingdom is going to continue to grow. And God will sovereignly accomplish what he has. It's like a mustard seed. What's a mustard seed? Well, it's it's a seed that's incredibly small. In fact, if you, it's so small that if it was scattered in the ground and you were just standing up there upright, you may not even notice it. That's how small it is. If you had one in your hand, you may not even feel it. That's how small it is. It's a teeny, tiny seed. It's about one to two millimeters. That's how. It's just a really small seed. But when it's grown, it produces a plant. Now, what's that a picture of? It's a picture of God's sovereignty. I can have complete confidence that when I am passing out gospel invitations, I can expect the gospel to work. Over time, God's kingdom will be advanced and God's kingdom will grow. But I just have one little flame, just a little lamp. I'm not all that consequential. And that's the point we're all just little lamps, but God has saved us to shine. As we faithfully shine, or to get back to our second metaphor, spread the seed, we will see God's kingdom grow. This is what Paul would write to the Corinthian church as they labored in this sowing of gospel seeds. He would say, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increased. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increased, Not he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own la- reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. That's exactly what we read in the Bible. Can I remind you that after Jesus' ministry on earth is over, we may ask, where is the church? Where did it go? Well, everyone is basically hanging out, afraid of what's going to happen next. They haven't formed yet is where it is. But the day of Pentecost comes in Acts 2, and we see Peter and the apostles. And in Acts 2, we see them scattering seeds, just preaching, scattering seeds. And what happens next? Acts 2, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word, that's those who had good soil, That's who they are. Were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people were added to God's kingdom after one gospel sermon, because that's how powerful mustard seeds are. But that's just in Jerusalem. That's pretty cool, but that's just one city. Will the seed be planted other places? We read later in Acts that missions works begin and here's what we read Paul and other missionaries say considering that work it says in Acts 13 verse 47 for so the Lord has commanded us saying I made you a light Paul says for the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth remember the light parable at the beginning of Mark 4 God's kingdom is growing, and the missionaries are doing their work. And it says this in Acts 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, here's the result. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. It went from Jerusalem to the Gentiles, and it's still spreading, but that's not enough. When we get to Acts 16, there's a second missionary journey and they go back to those churches that they planted in the first missionary journey. How are you doing? What's going on? Let's check up a little bit. And as they come back to those churches where the seed had been planted in the first missionary journey, look at what happens in Acts 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and were increasing in numbers Daily. Man, one little mustard seed spread that rapidly? It started in Acts 2, and by the time we get to Acts 16, we only have one number count, 3,000. And it's been increasing daily ever that since. How many plants have sprung up by the time we get to Acts 16? Apparently it was so much, it's almost impossible to count. Why? Why? That's how powerful God's kingdom is. A sovereign God is using the power of the gospel seed and he's preparing the hearts of those who would receive that seed and people are putting their faith in Christ and believing. This is a secondhand story, but it's from my father, so I'm gonna believe it's true. (laughs) My dad had an opportunity to go and to preach in Ukraine with my sister. My sister wasn't preaching, my dad was. My dad would take each of us, my dad was a pastor for those of us who didn't, uh, d- those of you who don't know, and he would take each of us siblings, there were five in our family, to different mission fields. Um, I went to Cambodia, my sister went to the Ukraine, my other sister went to India, my brother went to Zambia. And he'd take us to these mission fields, and my one sister Sharon was going to the Ukraine with my dad, and they were going out to a place that th- they actually crossed at one point over into Russia, and they were in a very remote area. And the missionary was preaching. Really, dad was through interpreter and then mostly the missionary in his own language. And people were coming from this very remote village. And they were hearing the gospel. And people were were getting saved. And after the message and all the services were done, a very older lady came forward And she wanted to talk to the missionary, and they were huddled in the corner, and they were talking, and she began to cry, and they were talking in their own language. And finally, after some time, the missionary brought her over to my dad to talk and explain the story of what had just happened. And what had just happened is that this lady had lived through the war, the World War II. She lived through all of the difficulties that you know about historically that had surrounded Russia and the darkness that was pervasive in that area but somehow, when she was a child, she had gotten just a page, just a corner of, a portion of the word of God. That's all she had. And she knew enough about God to just talk to God in her own simplistic faith. And she had seen loved ones killed in these wars that had just literally ripped that country and others apart in Europe. And she had been praying and talking to a God, some God, something more powerful, to come and bring to her town truth, basically. Gospel truth, though she probably didn't know the word gospel. And she was weeping because for the first time she finally felt like she had the answers. And she was weeping all the more because she was watching her grandchildren accept Christ. Listen, that was just one little lamp This one missionary who said I am I'm, I'm not much I don't have a lot but I'm going to go into this little remote area to give gospel seed to these people and I have no idea what will happen but I believe that God is powerful Friend once you become a follower of Jesus God says okay you're a lamp and nobody puts lamps under a basket you put a lamp to let it shine, so let it shine. And you're a sower. Go out into my fields, they're wide under a harvest, and just cast your seed. And God calls each of us as followers of Christ to be sowing gospel seed, and it is unacceptable for lamps to be under baskets today. It is unacceptable for Christians to not have their baskets full of seed to sow. You could use a special tract. You don't have to. You could. You could knock on the door. You could make a phone call. You can talk to your coworkers. You could talk to your neighbors. You could pick up barbecue on your way home if you wanted and give it to someone if that's going to help you start a conversation. Just sow, basically. Amen. Just sow seed. But you say, Pastor, I've shared the gospel with people and I've never seen anybody come to Christ. Now I can't help but wonder if when we get to heaven we'll find out that that's probably not true. I wonder how many times we've shared the gospel with someone and had the door literally or figuratively slammed in our face and we thought, well, that just didn't work. I can't help but wonder if when we get to heaven we'll find out that that very person actually did accept Christ. So, so confidently. God's word is powerful and the seed will take root and there will be a crop of wheat. We can sow. The church is on the decline in some regards. False beliefs are on the rise. What we need is lights. Confident, expectant lights who'd say, what am I saved for? I'm saved for What? I'm saved to sow. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, you have given to us to sow your gospel seed. Lord, there are many in this room that I trust have been the receptive soil of your word, They accepted Christ as their savior. For that we greatly rejoice. There may be others, Lord, that as they hear the gospel preached once more, they need to understand their own personal need to accept Jesus, and may today be that day. And yet, Lord, there may still be others who have never accepted Christ, and, uh, or rather have accepted Christ, and have not yet fully embraced the purpose of their mission. Lord, may they understand what they've been saved for. May they go out confidently, expectantly, even this afternoon, sharing the gospel with those who need it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand with me? The instruments are going to begin to play. A song of invitation. Would you allow the Lord to speak to your heart as he has through your word, and would you respond to him today?